troubled even to death. Which means if you felt that way before, you have felt sorrowful and troubled, you felt like you literally can't go on anymore. That's what even to death means. That is not wrong. It's not sinful to feel that way. And I know that because our Savior felt that way. So it's, you shouldn't feel, and I think sometimes we have this idea that if I feel discouraged, then I'm, I'm not good enough, or I'm too weak, or I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. Baloney! Because Jesus was the pinnacle of our faith, wasn't he? And even he felt this way. So the question we're trying to answer, of course, with this series, how do I overcome and prevent discouragement from leading into sinful behavior? If I know that discouragement itself is not a sin, what might it lead me to that would be sinful? Giving up my faith, giving up on God, giving up on the church. Those things then would, of course, be wrong. The things that discouragement might lead us into. And so how do I overcome those things? And what did Jesus do? So in this story, we're going to see two main ways to overcome discouragement. Number one, solitary time with the Father. And number two, solidarity with other Christians. And as we've gone through this series, I have talked about these things many times, and I really want to bring these things home in this final lesson as we look at Jesus. These are both contradictory and complementary, right? That I need to have solitary time, but I also need to have solidarity and fellowship. These two things that I need to have in, in concert. They both serve to reinforce the overall goal, right? Trust in God. Discouragement is that which would lead us away from our trust in God. Some circumstance or some difficulty or some pain that would lead us to feel like abandoning or giving up or forsaking God. These two things are things that will help us keep that trust and that faith. Number one, let's look at reliance on friends. So Matthew 26, we'll read this again. Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and what? Watch with me. Why would he want them to watch with me? This idea of, and, and you, you see what's going on here in this story. He knows, of course, what's going to happen. This thing they've just got done doing the Lord's Supper, in fact. And now they've gone out into the garden and, and he brought his disciples with him. The, the, all of them are there except for Judas at this point. And they're all there together. And then he's like, okay, 10 of, or however many it is, nine or eight of you or however many it is, wait over here. Takes three of them with him into this more solitary part. Why? Why would he do that? What does the presence of others do for us? And notice he's not telling them to solve his problem. He's not telling them to fix what's going on in his life. Just be here with me. Just watch with me. The idea of watch. What does that mean? That they would, now of course as we're going to go through the story, you know how it ends and how they really don't do a particularly good job of that. But we just need people to feel what we're feeling, right? Who understand what we're going through. It doesn't take much. I've said this before, and, and I'll, I'll probably say it again when we talk about such subjects. When were Job's friends the most encouraging? It wasn't when they were saying stuff. As soon as they opened their mouths, they stopped being encouraging. What was it? Seven days they sat around a campfire together in silence as his friends sat with him in Job's time of need and his time of discouragement and his time of difficulty, 
just being with him. We need other people in our lives to watch with us, to understand what we're going through. This is what we need. John 17, 22 through 24. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Are we perfectly one? What is a part of that perfectly one? That we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now he's praying in a future prayer, right? He's praying about the future. He's not praying about right now because they are where he is right now. But he's praying, what? I'm going to go and leave. I'm going to go leave them and go up there where you are. I'm going to prepare a place for them. But what? I pray that they will be with me. They can come and be with me and see the glory that you have given me. Jesus often prayed for the unity and love of his people. That they would be with him because he loved them. He wants us to be with him. He wants fellowship. And I don't think, of course, he's facing this now. But when he was on the earth, one of the things that he did over and over and over again is went back to his friends, back to his disciples, back to his apostles as a source of encouragement. He clearly wants us to be with him, right? This is the passage that I referenced earlier. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the, fate, uh, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Two things I want to note about this passage. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, in context of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, of course, that hall of faith, those people who are, I think, the cloud of witnesses that he's talking about. But you know who else is the cloud of witnesses? Is you guys. You guys see my struggles. You see my difficulties. You see the things that I'm going through. You are those who are watching with me. The idea of seeing, watching, and witnessing. The second thing I want to note, why did Jesus endure? For the joy that was set before him. And I, I said this, I don't remember when I said this. It was in the last couple of weeks. I don't know what under what context. God, Jesus did not need any more glory. He existed before his incarnation as what? In the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was already equal. He was already, already in the highest, most exalted position that could be. It's not that he did all this stuff and endured it so that he could be elevated. He was already elevated. Why did he do it? For us. That is what he considered the joy our fellowship. So when he prays in this passage, I desire that they will be with me where I am. That's what this is, right? The joy that was set before him, that we would be with him. We've already, oh, I already said that stuff. He wanted fellowship with people. So when we come to discouragement, when we think about the times that we're discouraged, the times when we feel like giving up, Jesus has put into place one of the primary ways that we can overcome that. And that's his, his church, his people, the fellowship of Christians that he died for so that we would experience what he experienced, that is love and unity and harmony, including in those times when, when we are facing discouragement and difficulty. Do not isolate yourself from other Christians. 
that's what's going to lead you to give up. That's what's going to lead your discouragement into being sinful. When you give up and stop working and fighting and struggling. Now, obviously we can't let our faith be wholly dependent on others. Because as we go through this story, we see that they did not do a very good job when Jesus asked, sit here and watch with me. He came, uh, verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so, I, I, and again, I wonder about this. I've said this before. I wish we sort of had, well, what I wish we had is an audio recording. That's what I wish we had. So that I could, I could know how he's saying this, right? Because he could be doing this in a number of different ways. Sort of resigned. You couldn't watch with me one hour. Or was he angry? You cannot watch with me one hour? Like, what is he, I don't know how he's saying this, but he's obviously disappointed in them. So you could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I hate to break it to you guys, but even your closest friends will eventually let you down. You spend enough time with people, they're going to make mistakes and mess up. Jesus, of course, Jesus' friends did that a lot. Of course, and then they use, I think they used that failure to motivate themselves after Jesus' ascension. But as we fellowship and congregate, if we are doing the first part, which is not isolating ourselves, that we're spending time with other Christians, raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. When your hand should be up. I don't know. And how many of those mistakes affected other people? A lot of them, right? I don't know the percentage. It depends how much time you spend with other people, I guess. So we can't let our faith depend upon entirely other people. I need to, I do rely on you, and I do get encouragement from you, and I do use you as a source of strength, but you cannot be the primary source of my motivation. You can't, because you are flawed. So what did Jesus do instead? He sought over and over, we're going to read several passages, solitary time with the Father. A sign of discouragement is that you stop spending alone time with God. And that could be accomplished in a number of ways. Uh, we'll read a couple of these passages. Mark 14, 32-35. They went to a place called Gethsemane. and he, uh, This is Mark's account of the same story here. Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. I want to highlight a different aspect of this story. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He did bring friends, but note that he withdrew to pray alone. I want you to be with me, but you are not going to be the primary source of my comfort. Stay here, remain here, watch. I do want that. But then what does he do? He withdraws into alone time with the Father. And we see this interesting balance of, of two things at play here, things that are seemingly contradictory. I need to spend time with other Christians, but I also need to be alone with God. And Jesus somehow accomplishes both of those things here as he withdraws into a solitary communion and prayer with the Father. We're going to read several more passages. Matthew 4, 1 and 2, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. This test that he is about to endure, the temptations, what does he do? He spends 40 days and nights alone to prepare for that. That temptation that he's going to face. What does he use? I imagine, what does he do for 40 days and 40 nights? He doesn't just play checkers with himself on the ground. What is he doing? 
He's thinking and praying and communing with the Father. And how do we know that? Because when, when the devil comes to him at the end of these 40 days and tempts, uh, tempts him, he has all of these scriptures ready to present to the devil. All of these things that he responds, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. Because he has spent 40 days communing with the Father. Of course, those things would be evident and clearly on his mind. That's what he's probably been thinking about by himself for 40 days. Luke 6, 12-13. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. What we see continually is the times before the struggle or before momentous decisions. In the immediate time before super impactful things in his life. First was the temptation in Matthew 4. Here, what is he doing? He's choosing these twelve. Probably... I don't know, top 10 most impactful decisions throughout history? Because what are these 12 going to do? What are these 12 going to have to do? These are going to be the people that carry on his work after he ascends. This is a momentous, important decision. And so what does he do to prepare for that decision? He spends time alone with God. How often do you seek solitary communion with the Father? Prayer, reading Scripture, thinking and and the idea of meditating. There's a lot of stuff in the Psalms. We see David doing this a lot as he withdrew into the wilderness to think and to meditate on the will of God. Mark 6, 45-47. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. Now, of course, we know what's going to happen immediately after this story. But he's just got done dealing with crowds. And I think we, we feel this, right? Can it be draining to deal with people? Oh, man, it can. Yeah, it can, can't it? Especially if I'm being, you know, if I, you're thinking about maybe I'm the drain because I keep bringing up problems and I keep, I, we think about people in our lives that are draining. They're, they're negative. They're always thinking about themselves. Jesus, as he's dealing with all these people, they're not giving a lot back to him, are they? It's not like they're thinking, how can I be an encouragement to Jesus? They're taking. Now, I don't think it was necessarily wrong. They needed, and he saw their need, and he met their need. So what did he do to recharge? What did he do to reinvigorate himself, to overcome the drain that the people were? He went up on the mountain alone to pray, to commune with the Father. I think... One of the things, well, really, both in both of these things we see, when we are discouraged, and, and I like that Hebrews, the way that Hebrews phrases it, the weight and sin which clings so closely, those things which will drag us down, these are the ways that we overcome that discouragement. There is a difficult balance to strike between these two concepts, Right? between spending time with fellow Christians and spending time alone with God, and yet Jesus demonstrated that both are important. And again, if we're going to be Christ-like, going to be Christians, we need to emulate Jesus in this as well as other ways. So our conclusion for this, really this whole series, but particularly this lesson, so many things tug at us and draw us away from the sources of comfort and encouragement that God has given us. It's not like he's just left us alone. He, and you think about all the things that, have, that go on in the New Testament. 
to establish these sources of encouragement. We have the writing of Scripture that we have to now guide us. We have the formation of the church to be a source of fellowship and encouragement. We have the Gospels that were written so that we could see how Jesus dealt with these things. All of these things funneled into how can we have a relationship with God and overcome discouragement. The spirit that is given to us at baptism. Jobs, hobbies, families, obligations, they draw us away. I might add some more things. Guilt. When you sin, and I said this last week when we talked about David, right? We have the exact wrong attitude about sin. I'm so sinful and dirty that I need to, I can't be around other Christians. I can't go to God. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too guilty. We need to have the opposite attitude, right? I'm being weighed down by sin and guilt. Where would I go except to God? except to his people who can help me overcome these things. We have to be purposeful and intentional about seeking these things, don't we? Because of the stuff that I just listed, all of the ways that the world is dragging at us and tugging at us and pulling at us and, and pay attention to this and pay attention to that and pay attention to this other thing. You need to be intentional about setting boundaries for yourself to seek alone time with the Father, to commune with him, to spend time with other Christians. It is easy. Easy. You look up and suddenly two months have gone by and you've never prayed to God. Three months have gone by and I haven't really spent any time with other Christians because I wasn't thinking about it and being intentional about it. And you know what's going to happen? It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? Because as I have said previously, isolation is both the cause and the symptom of discouragement. So I'm discouraged by something, whatever it happens to be. Maybe it's a stressful situation at work. Maybe it's a, a stressful, a, a, an illness of some sort. Maybe it's sin that I, I just can't seem to overcome the sin, and it causes me discouragement and stress. And so I isolate myself because I'm dealing with this thing, and then I get more discouraged because I'm not receiving nourishment from God and His people, and then I get more discouraged, and, and it, this cyclical thing, right? How do we break that cycle? We have to come back. We offer the invitation every week. And the invitation is part of this process, right? You don't have to come forward publicly if you don't want to, but you do need to come back to God. You need to come back to God. You need to come back to His people. And this is not a process that ever ends, right? It's not like we reach a point in our lives, well, I'm good to go now. I don't have to worry about this ever again. This is a continual thing. And, and I want to stress this as we end. If you are not feeling discouraged right now, your time will come, right? But while we are strong, it is up to those of us who are strong, who are not feeling this way, to seek out those who are isolated and discouraged, right? Because when I'm discouraged and I'm isolated, what do I need? I need you to seek me out. I need you to come and find me and help me. When I'm strong, and, and maybe you're feeling really good right now. Maybe you're in a time in your life that things are going well, and your family's doing well, and your job's going well, and you're, you feel like you're growing and learning and spiritually developing, and, and that's awesome, and I'm glad that that's happening to you. You have a responsibility then to use that to seek out those who are not feeling that way 
and encourage and strengthen and help them, right? So the invitation is, is really a dual invitation, and I think it's, it should be this way all the time. If you're struggling and you're down, this is an opportunity for you to come and let us know how we can help, what we can do to help. But if you're not discouraged, if you're strong, spend some time this week thinking about who you could help, who you could be an encouragement to. Jesus obviously overcame. We know it's possible. Paul, Elijah, David, these people that we've looked at, they overcame Moses. That was the other person we looked at, Moses. They overcame this discouragement because their relationship with God, because what God provided for them, I know it's possible to do if we will come to God. Isolation, withdrawal, that's not the answer. It never is and it never will be. Come and seek the help that God offers.